la 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 telephones telephones off please Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Float Your Boat. Actually, another season of Float Your Boat. Season welcome, two. Welcome to season two. Bready boy, happy to be back. George, I'm I'm excited to be back. It's great to be back. Yeah? Well, what, what are we looking for? Season for? two? Yes, season two. So we've had to sharpen our pens, sharpen our minds, and sharpen our performance according to our producer. You're about as sharp as a bowling ball, George. And just as... Square. Sharp as, sharp as a bag full of wet mice. Thanks very say. much. Thanks very much. God, I just, you know, you should really improve your dad jokes. Oh, but, but, but nobody likes my dad jokes. That's why I tell them. Well, speaking of dads. Yes. But not a joke. Yep. Who do we have on today? We have a f- chappy named Doug Hawkins. Doug Hawkins. The Hawk of Bondi. He is like the Hawk of Bondi. Doug, um, tell us a little bit about him, will you? Well, first, George, I've got a question for you. Yep. How many people do you think drown on Australia's beaches per year? Drown? Drown. Uh, oh, I'd say there'd be a fair few, since we're surrounded by beaches. Uh, around? Around? 280? Deaths per year. year. So two people every three days. Something like that. Well, how many have fished out of the ocean? Per year, because of volunteer lifesavers around Australia, yes, eight to 10,000 people are rescued. And, of course, it, the, the deaths of, uh, through de- drowning would be a lot higher if we didn't have those volunteers. It would be massively higher. Yeah, so how do we get those volunteers? How do they come about? Well, well, there's an organisation, non-profit organisation called Surf Life Saving Australia. Would we be the most advanced in the world? Without a doubt. Right. And you and I are both fortunate enough to be members and committee members of the oldest surf club, surf life saving club in Australia. Yes, and what a pleasure that is. Yeah. That's it's a privilege. And, yeah, our it ki- is. and our kids, both of our kids have trained as nippers from under sixes till under fourteens and now they're card carrying members of <laughs> card the carrying members. Yeah, I mean how reluctant were they in the early days when they were when they were six and seven? We had to drag them out of bed every Sunday. They hated it. They Lennon hated it. Lennon, my son, used to uh, spend most of his time in those early years filling his his uh, budgie smugglers with sand. Or yeah. throwing sand at his mates. Well, Sophia spent most of her time kicking and screaming, but how proud are they today that they wear the budgie the, the budgie uniform and they and they Rescue they, people. Yeah. And they do And they're fourteen. They're volunteers at the at the Bondi Surf Club and they both of them have now rescued people. Yep. Um, and Lennon is a proud member of the club now. It's probably one of the <clears throat> One of the few organisations in the world that treat 14-year-olds as adults, really, when mm. you think about mm. their fully-fledged lifesavers by the time they're 14. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And Doug Hawkins is the head trainer for Nippers. Mm. He's the head of Nippers. Um, and he trained our kids in their final year last year for the SRC. Um, and they all passed with flying colours. And yep. so we thought... 
you and I thought we should get Doug Hawkins in because he's a local he's a local hero in our eyes, and he and he's such a quiet achiever, isn't he? I mean. Did you have a look at his CV? It was six a pages long. Oh, no, incredible. So I can't even summarise no. the things that he's that he's done. I mean, his his accolades go on and on and on and on. Suffice to say, he's he's had a career in. So do you a, and I, by the way. Yeah. Go on and on. <laughs> we, we do. So we'll finish this up <laughs> quite quickly. But I mean, his his accolades in business are quite extensive. Mm. I didn't know anything about that really because I only ever saw him as the you know head of lifesavers. Uh, nippers uh, in New South Wales um, but his surfing career is quite extensive he was also a involved in movies yeah he made surfing movies in the 1980s before well before digital well well before uh, um, the the um, what's that camera they put on the surfboards the a GoPro Go, well before GoPros so he had to invent his own waterproof camera I'm, in I'm my assuming. day GoPros were something that you got up at the cross <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, let's. And because you were such a regular feature up there, I bet you got discounts too. <laughs> uh, let's not go there, George. Yeah, let's let's bring him on, shall we? Let's get dug in. Let's get dug in. Okay. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, Doug. Like, hi, let's, uh, okay. Let's, let's, hi, uh, hi, Doug. <laughs> no, no, hi. Thanks for coming in, Doug. Thanks for Pleasure. coming in, yeah. Pleasure. Um, but both George and I have known Doug, well, I've known Doug probably Quite better than George. And, yes. Um, because he is... Our local hero. Thank you. And our local leader of nippers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do all the assessments. Is that right, Doug? I mean, you, you not the assessments, but you head the training for the, uh, for the uh, would you say, Wallara area or, or beyond that? Uh, beyond that. So I'm the uh, Surf Life Saving Sydney branch director of nippers. So I have 7,000 nippers or thereabouts mm. under my tutelage I suppose I wouldn't say control because that'd be too crazy mm. uh, and then in that role I have a direction role I have a strategy role I have a teaching role uh, and a development role and lots of time up your hand oh, and, up your sleeve and yep. some time up my sleeve which is great so therefore then I can share my skills with uh, the different clubs in the branch so I've worked across the branch within different clubs training some of the nippers. Yep. I also run the development camps for the branch, so I take 200 kids away every weekend and have done so for the last 14 years now uh, to try to develop them into young people, especially based on their life-saving arena. Yeah. Now, now I know that um, you, know, you know our kids were recently recently uh, coached by you. Yep. They loved you. They loved the experience. They they, they really do. they really loved your your way of teaching teaching them. They really respected that. How would you how would you place our Nippers program globally? 
I think it's an extremely positive and fabulous reflection of our society. Uh, it doesn't happen anywhere else, realistically. I is mean, it nippers, unique? Nippers does happen in New Zealand. Nippers does happen in England. And nippers does happen in certain Asian countries. But these have all been transplanted from Australia. So in some respects, it could be, it could be our greatest export. Here we are in this country at the moment with 67,000 children on the beach. Across the, across the country. And as an organisation, I think the figure is around 82,000 of under-18s that we have as an organisation. And yeah. now that is an amazing responsibility. It's, it's an amazing responsibility and an amazing opportunity that we can therefore influence our young people for today and our leaders for tomorrow. So you can imagine if we put a huge amount of effort into all those young people, whether they're seven or whether they're 17, and help them development as people, help them development as community leaders, help them development, help them develop as really strong lifesavers, good first aiders, great competitors, good boaties. What our country and what our community would look like in 10 years? Yeah, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable organisation. Well, 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 I was just saying in the preamble, Doug, that it's probably the only organisation I know of that that treats a 14-year-old like an adult. Absolutely. And as, as, as we experience every year, our under-14s turn up for their last season at Nippers after nine years on the beach mm. and after lots of training and hopefully lots of great experiences. We give them some extra training. We top it off, put the cherry on top, hopefully, uh, assess them at a proper level. So they're assessed by adults. They're not assessed by their peers. They're assessed by trained adults. And those adults then sign them off. And that sign off, as you know and I know, puts them on patrol. Yeah, it and puts they're adults. them on patrol. They're out there saving people's lives. Absolutely. And as a PC, patrol captain, I can turn to those kids and I can say, Eric, get the board. That person needs you at the back. Roll now. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's so, I mean, as a parent of a kid that went through the Nippers program, it's a proud moment when your 14-year-old can come home saying they've they've just contributed to saving someone's life. Absolutely, absolutely. And and they do, and they do. And Mm. I really do hope that most clubs realise the benefit and the success of the under-14s. I mean, there is a little bit of a, oh, they're just SRCs. Well, I'm sorry, Mm. but these kids have been on your beach for nine years. They most probably know it better than anybody. I bet you they can paddle a board better than most of your patrol and don't even let them near the water because they'll just stay there all day. <laughs> yeah. um, so they've got, and they've got a great headspace. And this is why our SRC training has to be so good. It has to raise the bar. It's not just sign them off and put them on patrol. Mm. No, it's actually signing them off to put them as part of a team that are going to manage a beach. And whether it's your beach or not, on a beautiful hot Sunday at Bondi with thousands of people, or whether it's Gary Beach on a colder day with 30 people, mm. it doesn't matter. They have the same level of responsibility. So to have that is fantastic. And I think there's a bit of a two-way street here also, that as fathers, which we all have been, or which we all are, we've seen our kids come through, It's not you don't get a lot of opportunities to see your child as a hero. Mm. You know, to, say, to, to I mean, you know, they, they win the footy, well done. You know, they do well at school, well done. But this is a little bit heroic. Mm. You know, we've sent them out. Okay, here's your assessment. Go and save that person. Bring them back. Put CPR on them. Oop, there's a heart attack over there. Quick, go and deal with the heart attack. 
oh, quick, there's a screaming mother here who's lost a child. Can you deal with that, please? Yeah. That's their assessment. Yeah. That's, and sorry, your CPR, keep going. It's two minutes of CPR. Get your team member in there. Bring in the, bring in the oxy, you know. So these children, these young people are heroes in their parents' lives. And that's, that's got to be a great thing. Let's rewind yes. to you growing up in Bondi. Bondi. Absolutely. Uh, I'm fascinated by, uh, I've heard some of your stories because I, I I've take, been around long enough. I take it, Doug, you had hair back then? I had hair and it went a bit further long, than it does today. Long, <laughs> long and blonde. And, right, you're a beach and, and you're yeah, a surfer, where? Absolutely, yeah. We got chased out of the flags a lot and um, got my first board from uh, Rob Keneally's surf shop back, which would have been, I think, in 1971, back in Bondi in those days, Rob Keneally had the first surf shop in Bondi. And, and you, bought, uh, you saved my, up for that? Bought, uh, saved up for that big time because I worked a lot in those days, even though I do now. And, um, yeah, it was a great place. It, as many people would know, it was a completely different place. It was completely blue-collar. Nobody really went there because uh, it was our own hometown and it took you an hour and a half to walk the beach because it was a community. People knew each other. It's amazing to think of Bondi that way, to, in the context of yeah, how we no. see it today. I mean, it's a it's an international destination now. I mean, you know, Bondi is probably the most recognised beach in the world. I would say. I would guarantee it. Mm. Guarantee it. Was it back then? Nope. It was a bit of a not a hellhole, but it was a tough place. Um, people didn't really go there. Didn't have a lot to offer. As many people would be aware that the water wasn't great in oh, those yeah. days, mm. uh, especially if that nor'easter blew too much and then the brown came around the corner. Uh, a lot of us got a few ear issues and, yeah, so it wasn't a, a great place, but, boy, we had good waves in those days. They used to break way out the back in those days also, um, yeah, not, as, not as close to the shore as they break today. Uh, it was a fantastic place. It was really, really cool. And and you you that's that's also partly due to. I mean, what would you put that down to? What why are they breaking differently? Uh, today? I think we've had some enormous storms, uh, which have changed the the landscape of Bondi a lot. And you know, in those days, you'd paddle out on a good day. It'd be a four hundred meter paddle out to catch some waves, and it was good. You know, we yeah. didn't we didn't we'd had if you paddled out in those days, then all your mates were in the water. You know, we all had a ramp. You know, our group was Ramp 8, which is the one that's in front of the Bondi Surf Club. Yeah. Right. And that was our ramp. And by the way, that's our ramp, so you guys can just leave because this is our ramp. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was obviously the boys down the southern end, um, the Cool Light boys up the north end. So, so yeah. Quite a few local tribes. Quite, quite a few local tribes, yes. Quite so a few how did one tribes. become a member of a local tribe back then? Uh, well, you probably didn't even realise when you did. And that's how that's how hard it would have been, yeah. So it was a lot of lot of good times, a lot of good places, a lot of good people. So, and you yeah. uh, you went to Dover Heights High, Dover which, Heights Boys which High, now, which is now Rose Bay College. That's correct. Yeah, it was a tough school. So yeah. don't look up Wikipedia, because yeah. Wikipedia <laughs> tells you that we've got some uh, disciplinarian issues at our school. It yeah. was it was quite a quite a unique place, Dover Heights Boys High, because uh, it was a melting pot. Uh, even in nineteen, even in nineteen sixty-eight, when I went there from as first year, 
uh, we would have had about 26 different nationalities in that school. Really? And kids bought and kids bought from a lot of different places, a lot of backgrounds. It wasn't a local school uh, because the, we didn't have enough high schools in the area. So kids came from all over the place. So we encountered a whole bunch of different people that we really hadn't encountered before. So it was quite a quite an interesting school and again the tribes formed quite quickly in that school yeah it's, it's quite remarkable that a, like a school like that a working class school is smack bang in the middle of four clues which is the most expensive suburb probably in today. australia yeah today, today. Well, yeah. it was back yeah then. i mean we I, I used to walk from my home in north <laughs> bondi which was a little semi um in north bondi because there were no there were no units in our street it was just houses and a block of four flats at the end and I'd walked home from school but I'd walked through Dover Heights yeah, to right. get back to Bondi. Back down Hardy Street. And or, yeah, yeah. All street, yeah, and you know, that was a completely different world. I mean, I did, to be honest with you, I don't remember actually going to a two-storey house until I was about 14. Wow. When my dad joined the Vaucluse Lions Club and all of a sudden we encountered a whole new world and I went to places with a two-storey house and a swimming pool because they weren't in Bondi. But it's, I mean, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom, given the way it is today. I mean, it's the most sought-after, one of the most sought-after bits of real estate in 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 the whole of Australia, I think. In, in the uh, world, I mean, if world. you if you had a two-bedroom apartment overlooking Bondi Beach, how would you feel? Yeah. <laughs> today, <laughs> amazing, I'd say. Pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. But we're, we're look. We're interested, Doug, in how you um, how you seg not segwayed well, the path you took. I mean, you. I was looking at your CV. It's ex exceedingly long. Like I, I was impressed. I must say. In the preamble, we we just yeah. said, look, forget reading Doug's. You don't say much. There's too many. You don't say much about it. But but nonetheless, you've had to. You you know. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you grew up a like a surfy bum on the beach kid yep. knockabout kid yep. but then you decided to do what and go where well basically I, I I went into the banking industry so I did the old you know join Westpac after school yep um, which through a whole bunch of different scenarios but at the same time through a number of groups that I was hanging out with especially a group down at our church we got into filmmaking uh, which was really cool really cool so that was back in 19. 77. So we're talking well, oh, when, quite a while. You know, when real film existed. When, when we actually had real film. And, and <laughs> Super 8, was it? Super 8 it was, which is, you know, <laughs> start measuring, folks, because it's pretty damn small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully, we graduated at what we call 16mm uh, the year after. Um, so we went. We made a film in Bali in uh, 1977. But so, now what, no, but what kind yeah. of films? Surfing films. Yeah. Surfing films. Yeah. So effectively, you chased what you loved. We we did, and you know, being in Bali in 1977 is completely different to being. I bet it was in Bali now. So we were, you know, like an example. To get to Uluwatu now is to go to the resort. Yeah. Well, in, in the old days, you had to go to the village and then you had to um, check with the chief that it was okay to walk in and then you had to hire all the people from the village and then you had to take in. So we walked into Uluwatu to do some filming. Uh, there was a line of 42 people 
carrying everything <laughs> into the into the um, surfing spot. So, yeah, that was pretty fantastic. So we went on from there, uh, made other surfing films um, and sports films, and these films had a bit of a message about faith, about questioning yep. where life goes for each of us to actually start thinking about the bigger picture of life, not necessarily just having a surf. So it was, in, it was encased in that. And then for me, I got into film distribution, after that which was fantastic so i actually understood why people watch film what film can do as a medium mm -hmm. what you can how you can use it as a teaching tool as an education tool how you can work it um, and i suppose even to the degree of how you can manipulate it if you want to uh, and then for me like all of us we have a breakthrough moment and in 1988 i was offered a film to make um, which was you know, a film with no budget, but that's okay. So in 88, for those of us who were around and watching TV and being aware of society, AIDS had arrived. Yes. And this was a film which was basically trying to help young teenagers deal with that situation. Uh, the film was entitled The Third Wave, and this was a film about living in the world, preparing yourself, making sure yourself's okay in this world because we already had the first wave uh, through the gay community, the second wave was through intravenous drug use and the third wave at that stage, people were very concerned that it might get into the heterosexual community. Which it did. Which it did, to a little, to a small point. So this film was made, uh, a fantastic drama film, 27 minutes long. We had some fantastic actors and actresses um, you know, the funny story is that we actually had Nicole booked. She was in. Uh, then we had to move our schedule and we lost it at Bangkok Hilton. So right. anyway, these things happen. Which is, which is interesting because <laughs> <interesting, laughs> we, we interviewed Joyce Smithers, who was on Bangkok Hilton as well. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. So we had Marcus Graham and we had Kelly, Kelly McRae and... Ben Mendelsohn, um, wow. who's, you know, who's just been in Star Wars. Fantastic film, and that broke the mould for AIDS education in Australia. It became the highest used resource for AIDS education. For our launch in Sydney, we actually had the government and the AIDS community at that stage, um, AIDS activist community, on stage together for the first time. Never happened before. And that film was endorsed by both groups and... Thankfully, went around Australia and got messages across to a whole bunch of people, which was fantastic. So that was my breakthrough moment, making a real film as opposed to just documentaries, I suppose, and drama and yeah, getting from there. And then obviously offered a couple of jobs after that. And then I started our own production company in 1993. So the bank yeah. was gone. Bank was gone. But the bank was great because it gave me a lot of uh, finance background, but also I did a lot of teaching and education in the banking so i did a pr program i did the schools program in the bank for about a year telling kids about how to manage their dollars and how to work it all up so yeah that taught me a whole bunch of things about how to get involved with people how to educate people so so what yeah. what drives you to want to help community like like especially in the youth i mean obviously that's your section um, that's your passion. Mm. What drives you to? What drove you to go into that and want to be? Well, I've been working with youth, so I I led our own church fellowship group in when I was seventeen, and they were fifteen. So right. I sort of picked it up from there. 
But you obviously enjoy that you've got some level of satisfaction helping people. Absolutely. I mean, we've all got a role to play. We're, mm. We can all, we've all got a positive option to, to put on the table. Mm. Well said. Or not. Or not. Yeah. It's our own choice. Correct. And if we all did it, if we all lived in that particular perspective and lived in that mindset, then my goodness, what a world we would have today. So if I can reach out and help any young person try and find their feet, try and find their direction, give them a helping hand, give them a word of encouragement, give them some extra skills, help them figure out maybe what's best for them as opposed to just what's best for everybody else, that's got to be a good thing. And also challenge them. Give them some challenges that they may not have been encountering before. Uh, at our development camps, we actually have our under 11s and under 13s. So these kids are like 12 to 13 years of age. We run a leadership session for 100 kids in a room. I facilitate it. They do the input. And it's on leadership. It's just what, what sort of leader do they want to have in their life? And the parents who watch this in the background, they're all from corporate land. Well, they're from business and industry. Mm. And every year we get the same parent or different parent comes up and goes, if my management team got as involved as you kids did today and came up with what you came up with today, I'd be thrilled. Yeah, I remember doing the under, when Lennon, my son, was in the under-11s, he did the development camp, which I was at, and um, it was a remarkable weekend. Mind you, I couldn't have a drink, which was... But <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was, that was, was a, a remarkable <laughs> weekend. <laughs> it is a dry weekend. Yeah, that's true. I, re I resemble that comment. <laughs> it's a dry. Yeah, but I remember that weekend very clearly. And Yeah, of course you would. Because <laughs> I was sober. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that, uh, yeah, the kids really loved it. I mean, Lennon... That Lennon had sort of hit his straps with with life saving around about under tens, maybe. He realised he was a good board rider because he was surfing, and he went from being the kid stuffing sand down his budgie smugglers to being yep. like he was club Going champion hard. that year. Yeah, from you know? congratulations. Um, yeah. I think that that was because of the the camp, the yep. under elevens. Yeah, uh, he really hit his straps then. Yeah. Right? and there's something must have switched. And since then, he's done. Uh, charity in Indonesia for Qantas, and he's he does that stuff, mm. which are, which is a proud proud yeah. thing. It, do, it does make a difference. I mean, mm. we we get amazing responses from that campus, and we get amazing responses in the long term. Mm. In the long term, it's not just to go back and feel good for a couple of weeks. So it's fantastic putting that amount of effort. It's costly, you know. Those two camps cost our branch nearly fifty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, which is, fan, you know, that's big costs. Clubs cover some of it. Um, thankfully, our sponsor, Sydney Airport, uh, that comes into the play, which is fantastic. But if we didn't do it, nothing would happen. Mm. Nothing would happen. And yeah. what does happen is amazing. And not just for the kids too, but those parents who come down who may have been on the edge a little bit themselves, on the side, you know, mm. I'll go, I'll help. Yep. And then they realise what it's really all about and what they can do. Because surf lifesaving, first of all, it's not a sport. It's first up, it's a community service. Mm. That's what it's all about. As we all know, when we put on the red and yellow, we're not putting it on for ourselves. We're putting it on for the people that we can help. And all of a sudden, you're having to put your needs behind the ball and put everybody else's needs in front of you. 
And for a 14-year-old SRC or for a 12-year-old kid at Nippers to realise that it's not about me, I've actually got to be putting people's needs in front of mine, that's a good thing. That's a good start to get a mindset going. Mm. And now, a word from our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> this is our, uh, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joes. Yes, Mungrel Joes. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. <laughs> it brings out the mongrel in you. <laughs> God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks, Mungrel Joe's. That's my line. No, That's your line. <laughs> Mungrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever it's 100 percent australian and not only is it a performance coffee it's strong and smooth like me of course george <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth the world's greatest coffee is it really <laughs> <laughs> yes it is jump online at mongreljoes.com.au and give it a shot excuse the pun no 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 you didn't have to say that well it's you printed it on the page you're george. on you're on fire brent I am on. We fire. could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put put it put in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungle Joe's. I'm telling you, folks. Aside from this great script, that George wrote, <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> Anyway, listeners, Mungrel Joe's, it's, it's the best. Can I ask you a question about that? Just Yes. What do you think about the Bondi Pavilion beautification program? Haven't got a lot, a lot of knowledge on it, mm. but I think it needs to be community driven. Mm. So Not, to save Bondi people, it's just yeah. the reason I'm saying that is yeah. because we've interviewed Kilty O'Brien, okay, um, who's heads that up. Yeah. She comes, funnily enough, she comes from a background um, where all of her family and her grandparents were activists. Yes, and so her great-grandparents. And her great-grandparents. So great-grandfather started the first union in Australia, wow. I think. But she's from a long line of activists. Yeah. You're from a long line of givers. Yes. Community-based yeah. people. Yeah, it seems to me. It's interesting, you know. but, but Kilty heads up the Safe Bondi Pavilion yeah. and... Um, I just wondered if you had a perspective on that. Not, well, I haven't sort of seen enough of it to give a perspective, but I think it needs to be community-driven. There is still a community in Bondi, even though mm. there is quite a transient community. Sure. The inner, that inner community still exists, those people who've mm. lived and breathed it and who've stayed and part of it. So they need I, to be given a lot of reference. I think there is a good, a good community in Bondi, and I've seen it... I see it at Surf Club. I see it Bondi Board Riders. Absolutely. Um, uh, what's his name that runs Bondi Board Riders? A great chap. 
you know, um, and he really cares about kids as well. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that there's a, a, a community, but I also think that the problem with the eastern suburbs, as I call it, the bubble, yeah. oh. is that there's a lot of self-absorbed... Oh, we, 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 live in a, we live in the smallest bubble in the smallest world. Mm. And I'll and I'll admit to that any day of the week. I mean, I live in Coogee, mm. and Coogee is even a smaller bubble than Bondi. I mean, the, the world has changed. I mean, I, I I grew up in Surrey Hills, and I used to catch a bus down to Coogee, Clovelly, uh, Bondi. We'd get we'd I'd go um, in during the school holidays every day down at the beaches. It was a different world where people were maybe more content with what they had and they they were certainly more interested in knocking off at five o'clock and socialising. Oh, absolutely. And, and now, you, now you can't afford to do that because you've got the school bill, you've got the four-wheel drive bill, you've got the house bill. Correct. And then you've got the holiday bill. I mean, everyone had a Kingswood. Yeah, and there's, an expecta- and there's an expectation now. And that's, yeah. and, that's, and that's sad, you know, because we've got so much more to give as people than just the chase... You know, the chase the status, and mm. and I, and I see this. I'm one of the lucky few that actually get to travel around through surf life saving. Yep. So I've done work overseas for surf life saving. I've done work around the country for surf life saving, and now I'm booked to go and meet a whole bunch of clubs and different people during the upcoming season, where I'll be sharing some thoughts, um, whether it's far south coast or up on the central coast or up in the Hunter. Uh, trying to get people to see what really surf life saving can do for their club, how they can manage them, not better, but sometimes more effectively in the sense of engaging with different people, uh, engaging with the nippers people, engaging with the parents. Boy, there's so many options we've got out there as as an organisation. It's huge. But people, I mean, look, our listeners don't understand the role you've played in that. I mean, you created quite a number of standards within... That's within the organisation. That is true. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like to sit through creating uh, training manuals and uh, you know, um, you know, the, using the government format of outcomes and that's it's mind-numbing stuff. I've tried to do it myself um, uh, when I was helping to set up an RTO. Yeah. And I know what you went through. I mean, did you do it on your own? Or oh did no, you drive there's, it? there's a lot of people who put a lot of time and effort into everything. Uh, especially within our manuals and all those resources. Yeah, because they're quite extensive. Uh, they are extensive. Um, and they've, again, they're, you know, SLS is, a, is an RTO, so there has to be some defined outcomes. There has Correct. to be um, some measurements in there, and then it has to be impacted by those assessed to make sure that we are at the correct level. Yeah. Because as we come back to our initial conversation, if we've chosen to put a 14-year-old on the beach, we have, yes, then we have to make sure that we've got the right level of training, the right level of assessment to put that person in the safest position we can. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. We live in a PC world. Yep. Um, we live in a, a nanny state where, where one mistake usually costs the whole industry um, um, rather than the person that made the mistake. Yep. Just putting a scenario to you, uh, you know, people drown. They do. Right? And they drown even when they're being helped by a lifesaver. Thankfully not in Sydney lately, but that's that has happened. But they do. Yes. They do. Yep. And being in the the nanny state that we're in at the moment, you'd think the whole life saving thing would be kiboshed because people die. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, that there'd, there'd be more rigorous systems in place, for example, a ban on kids under the age of 18, you know, being lifesavers, because that's typical of, you know, one guy gets hit in the cross from mm. behind behind the head and all the pubs have to close, the close their doors at 11 o'clock at night. Yep. You know, I mean, that's how serious w lengths the government goes to. How did surf lifesaving, like, negotiate I the think, waters well, there? I think, well, we deliver a high-quality program. We'd, we've got a safety as our first point of reference in everything we do. So obviously, you know, we don't want to put any of our members in an unsafe situation. Yeah. So safety, the training, the communication is all there to start with. Obviously, we have our parameters. So where are we working? We are working within the flag area. And yes, we're working outside the area. Are we working at nighttime? No. Are we working at sunset and sunrise? Um, no. So there, and they're the times when we're getting people are getting caught. You know, we're getting people swimming at night time. Crazy we're stuff. We're getting right? people going down the rocks on a on a five foot, sorry, a three four meter swell at Bondi, going down to the rocks. You know, the lack of education and the lack of people understanding the danger of that arena. Um, you know, and that's an enormous job we have. I mean, where is? Where, where is the education for the wider community in this particular area? I don't see it on TV. I don't see it in the newspapers. I don't hear about it very often. It's up to the clubs. Well, what, what, what's, <clears> your, what's your perfect scenario then to address? Oh, I think we need to have, you know, the, I think, well, I think we can start with doing some fantastic surf awareness, beach awareness videos on the planes coming in. Yeah. There's nothing on the plane. What a what a what a gathered audience you've got them there and then. What's Tell people about you know not swimming at night time, not what, swimming what, what, at alcohol. What stops you? I mean, you're 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 an ex yeah exactly ex filmmaker. Yep. You know, you're, you're producer. You know how to put these things together. Absolutely. You're also head of Nippers. Yep. Um, you know, you have a voice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Are there, you are you there are, there, there are some discussions at the moment about how that could happen, which is good. Um, they're very early stages. Great. I'd love to see that. Love, love to see it happen. Uh, again, it's not a hard thing to do these days. Mm. You know, filmmaking used to be quite a complicated thing <laughs> in the past, but now it's now it really is. Get your iPhone out and get your computer out. So mm. there are some fantastic things we do. Uh, more community engagement. So I I spend a number of hours every season talking to people from Mount Druitt, talking to people from, um, you know, the Horn of Africa, talking to people from Morocco, talking to people from India about coming down the beach and enjoying themselves, but enjoying themselves safely. Uh, you know, we've got a completely different group of people who go to the beach now. That's the biggest thing for us all. Mm. Transport in, in Sydney is completely different. Yes. A long, long time ago when I had hair, <laughs> it was it was local land. It yeah. was. It was very much local land. And the locals generally knew how and to And the locals themselves. knew what to do, and they also knew to tell that other person to get out of the water or, you know, whatever. But now, you know, we've got people travelling, we've got people having to go to... The, it's Bondi. I've got to go to Bondi. Mm. You know, I'll go down to Backpacker's Rip because... I've seen it on Bondi Rescue, and I'll hop in to see what it's like. Well, guess what? You just got on TV. Um, yeah, well done. So we've got a whole brand new group of people, and as Australians, we don't really get that people don't know about the ocean. So, so have drownings increased since those days, or is it have they not because of lifesaving? Um, I don't. To be honest with you, I don't have any stats. Mm. Um, 
obviously lifesavers have been on the beach since 1907 we've had a great impact over those all those years mm. uh, thankfully we're still no lives lost during patrol hours between the flags which is that's amazing fantastic you know mm. which and that that's an enormous statistic mm. when you so, really think about it it's an enormous statistic so the yeah. 300 odd people that die a year um, through drowning around Australia, yeah, they yeah. usually drown. They usually drown. They're outside, outside patrol, of, outside patrol, outside wow. patrol hours on beaches I mean, that are unpatrolled. Unpatrolled beaches. I mean, the the drownings we had in the off season here in Sydney were all rock fishermen, people going for walks. Uh, unfortunately, young Nepalese couple down at Malabar. Didn't know how we to don't know what happened to them. You know, maybe they were having a romantic moment. You know, holding hands by the edge of the rocks overlooking the ocean. They got caught by a rogue wave. Maybe one went in. Maybe the other one went in to save them. We, no one knows, but that was a, mm. a tragic scenario. Uh, people don't understand the power and the rogueness of the ocean. I mean, mm. for those of us who've surfed, you know, you're at the we back do, yeah. talking to your friends. You've been out there for a 40-minute session. You're having a good time. High tide's coming in, so the swell's picking up a little bit. And you all turn around because guess what? The big one's just turned up. (laughs) Now, we get it, and we paddle hard and get over it or go under it or whatever. But lots of people don't understand what we know. No, no, they they really don't. And it's deadly. It is deadly. You're absolutely right. I mean, I I come from a, a, you know, a Greek ancestry, and you know, Greece is a, is a country of many islands, Absolutely. surrounded by ocean. Beautiful. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many Greeks can't swim. Absolutely, they cannot yeah. handle waves. That's yeah. why they prefer to uh, swim around Botany Bay yep. or around bays. But, exactly. But they feel intimidated yeah. by the o- yeah. ocean. And, and the other problem we have is that when people turn up from overseas and they look at our beaches, and you guys will know this from from straight away, they look at a beach and they see all the white water and they go, oh, I, I don't want to go over there. I'm going to get knocked over. You know, that's mm. I don't want to go over there. But hold on. Look, over there, it's nice and green, you know, and nice and still. <laughs> I'll hop in here. Well, my little adage for that is green is mean and white is nice because the green's going to actually take you out. That was you and I both know. Mm. That's our rip area. Mm. So green is mean, white is nice. Mm. Hop in those, you know, but if it's unpatrolled, don't go in there at all. Well, that's you know? easy for, for anyone to understand. That's really good. So yeah. so what's next on the agenda for you? Well, the season starts soon, but what... what well, yeah. well, Doug, no, no, Doug you, you didn't really say too much about what you do for other countries as well. Yeah, that's what I, mean, I was going to ex- get to, yeah. Was like, oh, did, I, yeah. did I just cut you <laughs> off, did I? That's okay, George. That's all right. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was thinking that, like, this season, you've got a yeah. whole lot of new initiatives. Yeah, so, so this season, uh, I've just um, <laughs> just come back from Thailand after a week in Thailand teaching life-saving to um, a whole bunch of new lifeguards and the community and some university students over there with a team uh, that was led under a gentleman called David Field. So he's doing some amazing work in Asia, in Vietnam and the Philippines and in Thailand. Uh, again, I come back to the, that perspective that surf lifesaving is one of our greatest exports and the more we can do for that, the better. Mm. Uh, I'm working with the team out of India at the moment to bring some Indian lifesavers or Indian gentlemen to Australia to train them in some more advanced wards. Uh, And then I'll be heading back with them, plus a team of hopefully four or five, six people from here in Sydney, um, going back to Mangalore to set up India's first ever 
surf lifesaving club on the beach. So the work they currently do through surf lifesaving in India is more under the Royal Lifesaving banner. So they teach a lot of swimming. They have portable pools, which they take out to villages to help kids understand about water. Kids, kids, kids even dry and die in rice paddies. Mm. So, you know, the, the element of water is completely different. So this time, though, we're actually going to be putting a surf club uh, which we call the Beach Safety Centre, because clubs in India is a world is a name that's referenced to the higher class people, as they say. Yeah. Um, so we'll be having a beach safety centre at Mangalore on uh, on the surfing coast of India, and this is India's home of surfing, basically. Um, yeah, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, the local council which I think is about 36 million people, have uh, plus the tourism, have actually given the uh, team a kilometre of beach, which basically is Bondi. They're going to build them a building and they're going to give them some cash to resource it up. And this is the first. This will be a major moment. It's a test case for India. It's a test case. It's a huge test case. Uh, considering India is now, what, the second largest country in the world, but at the same time, it accounts for 43% of the world's drownings. So one country. So over 126,000 people drown in India every year. My God. Wow. And it's a shocking scenario. And when I've been there before, I've seen those things nearly happen, and it happens so, so quickly. Uh, And again, people, if they do pull someone out of the water, they may not want to touch them. They may not want to get involved through various reasons, and they don't know what to do. So people will actually drown on the sand also. So the more skills we can share, uh, there's a NIPA program happening there at the moment, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I worked on that in 2015 um, down at Trivandrum, and they've got about 110 nippers up there running around and getting into the water. But again, as, as you guys know, as soon as you put nippers in the water, you've got to put people who are in the water already to make sure the nippers are safe. Yes. So we're working closely with the surfing community uh, to be part of that whole project. I um, and and having been to India, I'd say you'd have to um, you know be sensitive to the cultural differences as well, because uh, an it's enormous not, It's not that easy to do resuscitation or mouth to mouth on some. Females, like you just, yeah, there'd be tricky. There'd be it'd be tricky. It, absolutely, you've got to account for a lot of stuff, whichever country you go to. So, um, I was in Israel in two fifteen. I uh, did Pacific Islands last year. Yep. Um, so every country has its own little um, scenarios that we've got to be completely aware of, uh, completely to understand what's going on and how you actually work around that as and, and work within it um, to deliver an effective training program. So, if people want to get involved, or their kids into nippers, etc., what's the best way to do that, Doug? Best way to do that is to contact your local surf club. Uh, there's a, so we're talking New South Wales. There's 129 surf clubs in New South Wales. They all run nippers. Uh, some will run them for full season, October through to. March, somewhat down the south coast might start a bit later when the warmer's a bit warmer, <laughs> but your local surf club will run a program. And, and that could be a program of 36 kids, hmm. or it could be a program of 800 kids, depending on which club we're at. So there's a, they're all there, and they're all waiting for you to contact them. And it'll, it will, as many people will tell you, it will change your life, getting involved. So a couple of quick questions. Do you have a mentor? Is there somebody that you... 
talk to when you need to talk to somebody about or did you have a mentor or did you have a mentor not really <laughs> <laughs> and i say that with great great um humbleness mm. um surely within my own club uh from my surf life saving perspective it, it would have been someone like tony waller who's the next president and current club governor mm-hmm. uh from a surf life saving perspective yeah. but on nippers not not really mm. i think we've sort of forged ahead at quite a big steam um mm. and i suppose in the sense now when clubs require some guidance and some assistance and some understanding and some teaching then i'm probably the person they'll go to within probably our state you. to talk to so you're now the mentor um, you're the, you're um, yeah, the mentor. So, yeah yeah i mean it's it's fantastic we've taken it to where we have taken it yes uh and it and, it, and it's going to just get bigger and better from here fantastic george well i just wanted to ask you if you had your life all over again would you change anything i most surely just would have got involved earlier um, you know, being a being a Bondi boy, we surfed. Mm. We had the South End to ourselves. That was fantastic. No swimmers in the old days at Bondi, by the way, people. Mm. Nobody swam at backpackers because we knew how dangerous it was. So nobody swam mm. bar the bar from the middle flags north. That was where you swam. I don't think people understand what you mean when yeah. you say backpackers. So at um, at Bondi, there's a there's an enormous rip at the south end, which has become known as the Backpackers Rip because we have so many backpackers. Oh, I used to know it as the, um, I mean I know it as the Backpackers Express. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a rip that's at the south end, and I must admit, in the old days when Bondi was Bondi, uh, people swam from the middle flags north, yes. and everybody on a surfboard, which would have been a fiberglass board in those days, yes. had the south end. Yep. And there was no swimmers. And everyone knew that. Everyone knew that. No one swam in the dangerous end of the south end, especially with all the boards there for a start, let alone the rips, let alone the holes, let alone the waves coming in as they did in a, in a bigger down the south end. So, mm-hmm. um, but so I didn't get involved. I mean, I'm a classic scenario. Friends of ours said, we're taking Charlotte to Nippers tomorrow. Would you like to bring Rebecca? Nippers? Sure. Where it could you? We'll take our kids down. I love the ocean. Why not? You know, we'll just roll down on a on a Sunday morning and enroll our enroll our daughter in the under eights or under nines, whatever it was, and our yep. son can go next year because he's under fives. And um, and my scenario is very much like everybody else. You know, oh Doug, you seem to know what you're doing. Can you help out? Yeah. Hop in the water. So I did. In those days, there wasn't as many rules and regulations, so we hopped in. I mean, we're talking 2000 now, so which is, I suppose it's 17 years ago. It's quite a way. And then mm-hmm. someone said, geez, you seem to know what you're doing with the kids. Can you run the age group? So that was the next year. And then they said, oh, you got a bit of bit of nous. Maybe you'd like to join the committee. So I did. And then the next year it was like, Doug, could you please run Coogee Nippers? So you know, three and a half seasons in, running the gig. But again, you know, that, that organisation was run really well, but we had some options for the future. So I put a plan into place. We had uh, 520 children in those days, 12 parents, and we know what those parents did, everything. Mm-hmm. And that, and I had a plan. I put a three- or five-year plan into place and couldn't achieve it with 12 parents. Yeah, that's right. You can't. So we, I went back to the club in those days, and this is 2003, so it's quite a while ago now before a lot of stuff that we're doing now is in. 
And I said to the club, we need to train our parents and I don't want anybody working on the beach who's not trained. So yeah. it had to be compulsory and the club said, oh, but they'll all leave. They'll all go to Maroubra. You can't make compulsory training. I said, well, this is about working with children. So, so we did. Implemented it, and within that first season, we had 140 parents put up their hand. So we were the first club to implement that level of training at Coogee, uh, across any area in Sydney, across anywhere in Australia, I believe. And that took us now to having trained 400 parents now in their bronze medal. And so they 400 mums and dads have become lifesavers through that program. Yeah, which well, is, you've made it compulsory across across the, across the branch now. Across the branch, so you can't get away from it. Now. No, exactly, exactly. And it's yeah. funny, isn't it, that uh, for our experiences similar to yours, Doug. You know, we I took my son down, and um, I was an armchair general for the first year, but somebody collared me straight away because they realised I was a bit mouthy. Same as George, I yep. realised the next thing you know, you know, you're on the committee or, or you're at the age manager coordinator or. And now I'm the sponsorship manager. Yeah. George is back involved again this great. year. It, it, it's a great. I, I think the, the surf club is a great thing. It's a fantastic yeah. thing, and, and it is based on family, and it is based on tradition, and there's mm. lots of history, and mm. you know, which is great for kids today too to realise that there's a lot behind it. Mm. Uh, it's also a place we can still learn. Mm. I mean, it's and it's a place where, as we were saying before, you can see your child become a hero, which is. A fantastic thing mm. but it's also where children can see their parents become a hero mm. for a nine-year-old boy or girl or ten-year-old boy or girl to see their mother or father most probably change their life a little bit mm. and start training and get down the beach and start getting in and out of the water hard and fast and you know maybe a bit exhausted for the first few sessions and then go a bit stronger later and then what is it six to eight weeks later depending on where you are you get on the red and yellow. You put a red and yellow cap on and become an Australian mm. surf lifesaver. Mm. Kids are th impressed. Mm. That's an heroic thing to do. They George, mine was your, your daughter. Yeah, she was not impressed. She was not impressed <laughs> seeing me in a pair of budget smokers. She's not impressed. Well, not necessarily part of the main <laughs> part of the main yeah, uniform. But, but George, you didn't. You, you, maybe you have to do the bronze. Maybe maybe that's this year's goal. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Be this year's goal. Yeah. I mean, speaking of goals, what's what's your goal for this year, Doug? Uh, my goal for next year. My my goal for now is to ensure that the level that we're achieving in our organisation, especially within our branch, stays the same uh, and really continues to grow. Uh, my next goal is to make sure that we can continue to export this fabulous opportunity that we call Surf Life Saving. Uh, the world needs us. Is that your grand vision? It's my take, grand vision. Take yeah. it to every country. Take, take it to as many as we possibly can. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful export. I mean, imagine if we had... 400 fantastically trained lifesavers leaving our shores every year to go to other countries to encourage it and to ensure it and to inspire people with it. Mm. That would be, I mean, I was on Phuket Beach, Patong Beach last week helping to train all these young lifeguards. Well, since then, they've, they've saved about 12 people since last week. Wow. Because they, another 120,000 to go. Uh, well, yeah. And, and, you know, when I left India four weeks later, one of the guys I trained saved 
a young a young man in the water and and he you know he went in the guy was conscious by the time he got him out he wasn't and he, supl- he applied 20 minutes of CPR and brought the guy back and and that was an amazing scenario if he hadn't had the training the, that, that man would have passed dead. away yeah. it would have drifted away in the ocean because everyone would have stood on the shoreline screaming and yelling so we saved another life we kept another family happy we didn't destroy a life didn't destroy a family and mm. you know drowning's not a great way to go so the more we can do with our skills with our knowledge and let's face it with our with our affluence we have resources we have some time i have time now being semi-retired then let's use those resources let's use that time to make for a better world. Gee whiz, you don't sound to me like you're semi-retired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, okay. If that's change, what semi-retired like, I think I'll... <laughs> yeah, I better give up now. Well, yeah. Doug, I want to thank you for coming in today. George? Hey, I do, Doug. I mean, obviously, we could, we could talk forever. Absolutely. You've got, you've, got, you've got a lot more that you could, you could tell our listeners. But the crux of it is that, um, you know, you... you what I take away from today is the yeah, the pure enjoyment you get from helping, and uh, and that you'll continue to do so on a global level. That's amazing. Oh, absolutely! You know, like last year, I did a lot of stuff internationally. I did a fair bit of stuff statewide, and I did some stuff nationally. But then again, <clears throat> pardon me, I was also the technical director for the under nines. All right. Yeah making sure these kids knew how to get into the water, making sure they knew how to get through those waves, making sure they knew how to do a good porpoise or a dolphin dive, making sure they knew how to get their board into the water. There's not 42 ways to carry the board into the water just because there's 42 dads who think they know. There's there's two ways, (laughs) and we need to make sure the kids understand that. So I had under nine's technical director. That's the big change-out group, as we know. This year, I'm going back as the Under Nines Technical Director again, and as many Sundays as I possibly can do, I'll be down the beach working with the kids and having more fun than they do. So, if if you uh, listeners out there, if you want to meet Doug in person, you know where to find him. That's on right. On a Sunday morning at Could you Beach. Could you on a Sunday morning? I'll be the guy with the yellow Crocs on. <laughs> George and I will be down at Bondi doing a very similar thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and George might even be doing his bronze next season. That would be awesome. Your song. My yeah. song. Tell us about your song. My song. Well, it's the reach out song from Noiseworks. So reach yeah. out and touch someone. Yeah. You know, reach out, give someone a hand, be yeah, part of it. Works. You yeah. must have had hair back then. Uh, <laughs> not quite actually. The, the little the little story to it. I've always thought it'd be a fabulous song. Um, and when I was working in a um, as a production manager, producer, and advertising agency, we actually had the World Vision account. And um, for the youth program for that particular year, we all sat around a table and said, what are we going to do? We've got to really punch it out the young, you know, for the young people to get involved. And that, that's, that song had just been out a couple of years. So I actually, through a couple of contacts, went to the boys at Noiseworks and said, yeah. can we use your song for our World Vision campaign for this year? And they... They, bang, let's do it, boys. Thank you very much. Guys, you know. Highly, highly successful campaign. Really? Oh, absolutely. Made a TV commercial out of it also. Um, Went went fantastic because the song just reflects the whole scenario to, you know, reach out, touch someone, help them, put your hand out because you never know who's there. You never know who's going to need it. And if you do it, you won't be disappointed. 
What a way to end. What a way to end. Doug, Doug Hawkins. Thank you very much, Doug. Pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah!